while police photographing our license plate. What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices News Talk radio program, and I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. Our Reasonable Voice guest today is Patricia Helen LaMarche, author, Green Party candidate for Vice President in 2004, wife and mother of two, whose newest books discuss homelessness in the age of Donald Trump. Pat LaMarche is an award-winning broadcaster and journalist, has spent a lifetime traveling around the world and across the nation telling the tales of ordinary folks living through unimaginable hardship, and that was before the pandemic. Her two non-fiction books, Left Out in America and Daddy, What's the Middle Class, exposed the harsh realities of life for the impoverished American and their ongoing struggle to survive. In 2004, LaMarche took on both Dick Cheney and John Edwards as the Green Party's vice presidential candidate. In recent years, LaMarche has started writing fiction with her new novel, Magic Diary, and the Priscilla Kids book series. We're happy to have her join us in time for November, the Homeless Awareness Month, although I always feel, you know, we tag something with a month and then we don't think about it for the other 11, but we need to be better at 12 months attention. But November is indeed Homeless Awareness Month. Pat Lamarche has a new book out revealing the truth about homelessness. It explains everything from HUD to climate change and the challenges posed by the upcoming eviction tsunami. We forget about that as soon as the news stops talking about it. It's published by Sunbury Press, and it's entitled Still Left Out in America. So, Pat LaMarche, thank you so very much for being on the show. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I I always tell people, I don't get a quantity from LinkedIn, but I always get quality. Everyone I reach out to on LinkedIn is really top drawer. How's that? That's great. That's great, because that's how we met. Yes, that is, exactly. <laughs> All right, still left out in America. Hmm. 
I have a political friend, by the way, who I work with a great deal, and she often mentions we shouldn't just call it climate change, we should call it climate injustice. So when I read yeah. notes on you, I went, aha, here we go. How has COVID-19 yeah. compounded climate change's impact on causing mass homelessness? And why, particularly in the out west? Wow. Well, um, COVID-19 has sort of helped, if I want to use that word, which I probably don't. Um, COVID-19 is not a helpful thing, mm -hmm. uh, but it has made people aware that someone might actually have to use the bathroom on the street if they live there. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, yes. um, I remember many years ago I, when I was doing the first left out tour and staying all uh, in shelters all across the country and living, you know, on sidewalks and stuff. Someone complained about people urinating in doorways. Mm -hmm. And the bottom line is, if you don't care where they sleep, they're going to have to urinate in the same place. Exactly. When COVID-19 uh, proved that feces were very dangerous, that you could catch the disease from feces. Yes. I, even just locally in my town, I, I got a lot more uh, positive feedback from the town council because I've been pushing for bathrooms in public places for a long time. Yes. You know, every shelf and every store was empty of toilet paper. So people started to realize that bathrooms were actually an issue. And so some of the aspects of COVID-19 have helped quite a bit to, to make people a little more empathetic, maybe, about mm. homelessness. Mm -hmm. I hear you. The other thing it's done is mass homelessness, which I've kind of been acquainted with since I was an embedded reporter at Hurricane Katrina mm -hmm. down on the Gulf Coast. Yes. Climate change causes 450,000 people to become homeless in a week, which, you know, when what we usually think of is someone falls off the system, you know, the, uh -huh. they they get sick or they their house burns down and one or two or five people get homeless. But when 450,000 people along the Gulf Coast lose their homes, you know, the federal government deploys. Yes, usually. And, and yes. I might argue not always well. Yes. But, and then, of course, I did spend the better part of three months in paradise right before COVID hit to write this book yes. because 27,000 people were made homeless there in about 90 minutes. Wow. You know, yeah. I was going to ask the you fire about paradise. A, a football field a second. Wow. It is staggering to even think to, about To even it. imagine it. And all of a sudden, I mean, who do you turn to in time of difficulty? You turn to neighbors and family and friends. And if your whole town or your whole community is wiped out in, a, in seconds, where do they go? What do you do? Right. And, and in the case of the people who fled paradise, some of them, you know, initially had to flee as far as Sacramento, which was about 90 miles, mm, mm -hmm. because, you know, 27,000 people suddenly looking for a hotel room really takes up the hotel room space. And then people, I think about a third of the Paradise community has just permanently relocated. Yes. But right now, every single child in the Paradise School Department is technically still homeless under the McKinney-Vento Homeless Education Act definition. Every and, single one of those children is homeless. And you know, we often think of homelessness as just adults, but of course it's children, because families get become homeless. It's not just the parents. You've written a book, a four-part series, if I recall correctly, for elementary school kids and their grown-ups. So they, 
the goal of that is not only to get families who are homeless, I think, a better understanding of what homelessness is, but for us who read it who are not homeless, what do you say? Right. I think part of uh, part of the the setup is to think that it's an anomaly, and the Department of Education statistics, which are undercounted but much better than HUD statistics, say that three percent of all school children are homeless. Mm, mm-hmm. So if three percent of anybody was doing something, that would be a lot. If McDonald's could sell a cheeseburger to three percent of us for lunch, you wow. know, they'd be singing. Yeah. Three percent is a really high percentage of the population, and that's just school children. That doesn't count their toddler siblings or their parents or the unaccompanied youth or the elderly, all those veterans. You know, there are the number is just ex, an explosion of people, and so to keep the mythology going that this is the guy that lives under the bridge abutment who you know yells at you when you walk by. That allows people to say, "Well, that can't happen to me because mm. I'm not I'm not a heroin addict," you know. Yes, I got. Um, and so that mythology is really important. And it was actually my grandson's idea that I write the chapter book for kids like him, because uh, my other books are kind of Debbie Downers. <laughs> Tell me, I got you. Yes, I understand. But you mentioned HUD. I wondered because in my notes I wanted to ask you about HUD and the Department of Education are the ones who are most or should be mostly involved, at least as far as the federal government is concerned, in solving homelessness in America. But you said there's some discrepancy about they don't even have the same numbers. Do they work together or or what? No, 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 no. They um, There's a big silo problem. The HUD doesn't want anyone even talking about the Department of Ed numbers. It's it's it really centers on the on the definition. Mm-hmm. In order to be considered homeless uh, under the HUD definition, you have to be living in a place unfit for human habitation. Oh, you have to be living in a shelter, or you have to be living in shelter provided by a nonprofit or a church basically. Mm. So if a church gets you a hotel room because you're, or the Red Cross gets you a hotel room because your house burnt down, then you're homeless. If two nights later, they don't pay for that anymore, and you start paying for the hotel room, you're no longer homeless, according to HUD. Oh, goodness. Yeah, so that, and, and those kids in a hotel room are considered homeless, according to the Department of Ed. Mm-hmm. So there's 500,000 of your people that are not counted, 500,000 of your children probably yeah. that are living in hotels. Or if you if your grandmother takes you in or or mom's new weird boyfriend, Neil, mm. and, and yes. who knows what they're going to pay for that lodging. If you get to stay in weird Neil's basement, you're not homeless, according to HUD, but you are according to the Department of Education. So... The definition is really important for whether or not the adequate number gets counted. The other thing about HUD is HUD's job has changed a lot, especially since Lyndon Johnson and the war on poverty yes. and public housing. At the end of, at the, well, at the, at the time Ronald Reagan was elected, poverty was at 10% in the United States, the lowest it had ever been in recorded history. And then, you know, Ronald Reagan created the mythology of the welfare mom and yes. all and the, the Cadillac queen and all that crap. Yes. And, um, and so through that started cutting housing and programs. 
the largest uh, housing subsidy in the country is the middle class tax deduction. Mm. So, so when you file a, a tax deduction for for your mortgage and your taxes, that is actually the largest housing subsidy that the United States government has. It, the money does not go to the poor; it goes to the middle and upper class. And that that housing deduction is up to a million dollars. Goodness. I know. So, so if, if in one year you're paying a million dollars, and say say you own a New York penthouse, huh. and you're paying a million dollars in taxes and insurance and, uh, and interest, then you get to deduct that. But someone turns their nose up at someone who gets four hundred dollars a month in Section Eight. It's less than half of the subsidy we give the middle and upper class, and that's really just to pass through to mortgage companies, right? It's a pass through to banks. This supports banking industry and. The, the house you buy is bigger because of your housing subsidy. Mm-hmm. Who is that eventually subsidizing? The banks, absolutely. Right. Yeah. So, and I'm not, I'm not against it. I mean, whenever I bring that up, I'm always afraid that there's going to be pitchforks at night in my house, you know, because don't take away my mortgage credit. No, I don't want to take away your mortgage credit. I just want you to remember that you actually do approve of housing subsidies because you take one yourself. Yes. And therefore, we should be helping people who have nothing. And that's the point. The point is, it's so many people look down on on the homeless, and and they're growing in numbers. Yes, I mean that's accurate. Yes, yeah. yes. I mean it's yeah, not like it's... it hasn't gone down for a long time. The best uh, the best um, attack we ever had in my career was the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, which has been nicknamed the uh, when Obama became president, the stimulus package, yes. the Obama stimulus package was the nickname, but it was the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act which was passed so fast that it went out of Congress without earmarks, which means the communities weren't told how to spend the money. Uh And the communities did a beautiful job getting people housed. Well, that's, that's, that's great. I'm glad to hear that there's some kind of silver lining here because you could have sailed through many of my questions, but I'm so glad you did because we need this uh, comprehension and, and you really have, explained a lot, but it still leaves me with lots of questions. I just want to go back through some things, you know, like the federal response. I think you've, you've said enough on that, and yet it's, I'm still mind-boggled why agencies are still fighting among themselves instead of taking care of the people. Mm. But also uh, about welfare, because of Reagan's welfare queen, and, and I remember being horrified at that that could even be put that way. But I've been very fortunate in my life. I've never even been close to homelessness. But I wonder, what is the welfare system? People complain about it and ridicule those, and, you know, and they're even in politics, they think, it doesn't welfare come from the taxes that everybody pays? Yes, and welfare doesn't really exist anymore. Yeah. Um, there's the temporary aid for needy families was the name that was given to it by the Clinton reforms, uh-huh. which were written by John Kasich. Yes. yes. Um, and uh, when John Kasich was on the um, Diaz with the other Republicans and, you know, my opinion of the president is quite low. And here was this sort of brilliant guy, John Kasich, who, while heartless in his <laughs> reforms, was far brighter mm-hmm. and I thought well you know God's punishing you for your welfare reform yeah. <laughs> that's the only reason you're getting beaten by that guy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason Trump could beat anybody would be if God was mad at his opponent I know um, gee <laughs> 
Yeah, the welfare reforms have pretty much made it impossible. Like if you're elderly in almost every state, uh, some states subsidize the welfare program. Mm -hmm. Some of the more progressive states will subsidize it so that, um, say, an elderly person can get 100 bucks a month. Mm. But most states do not, very few. And uh, so what it means is unless you're a pregnant mother or have children under the age of four, mm-hmm. you cannot get cash assistance. Wow. So, you know, this is the stupidest rule I've ever heard of. You've got a four-year-old and they're going to turn five and you're going to have to lose your home. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, people talked about things like family values and, and none of that was real. Yeah. So anyway, the other thing is the well, in order to receive that welfare, you either have to be working or in school or you have to be volunteering. Hmm. And so you can't get it unless you have a child under five and you have to be out of the house to get it. So who watches your children? Exactly. And how do you pay and for And there it? really is no child care available exactly. to people who can't afford to pay for it. Exactly. All right, we're going to, that's a that's cold water in the face, and it should be. We're going to have to take a break, and we are, we are listening to an amazingly astute explanation of something we've just all sort of walked by, quite literally, on the street, homelessness. And it is still with us, and it is growing and it involves children and veterans and everyone you can imagine and uh, victims of fire, uh, floods, climate change. In any case, we'll be back with Pat LaMarche and she will tell us more about it and more about the books that we can get that she's written that will help us understand that what we need to do and why. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. In 2006, an inconvenient truth told us that global warming was upon us, that it was caused by the actions of mankind, and that the consequences would be dire if we took no action. Ten years later, broad predictions have coalesced into horrific specifics, and climate change accelerates. Really? Who says so? Important, trustworthy people say so. Check out the eye-opening documentary, The Age of Consequences. These aren't our simultaneously lauded and vilified scientists talking, but important and thoughtful world leaders. Those who bear frontline burden. They must plan for our survival. One of the first countries to go underwater will be Bangladesh. This will be a flashpoint. Did you know there is already a fence surrounding the entire country for controlling the inevitable mass migration? Many of the biggest crises of our times, Syria, the Sudan, the failed Arab Spring, and others, are already tied to climate change. With shocking imagery driving their points home, the predictions of these world leaders are grounded in grim reality. We at the Indie Film Minute are not political animals. We only watch movies and bring your attention to the good ones. This one is a powerful eye-opener. Watch it. You'll see. The Age of Consequences. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio Program. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, and our Reasonable Voice today is Pat LaMarche, Patricia H. LaMarche. Patricia Helen LaMarche, now you've got it all, the author and Green Party candidate for vice president in 2004. We are talking about homelessness in a way that I don't think many people have ever talked about it or even thought about it. 
Pat is on the show in part because I know it's November is being aware of Homelessness Month and because she has written so many books, I mean, elderly orphans, uh, about children and, and families, and most of all, which he's hit me with today, which I know I know, but you have to hear somebody say it out loud to you, I think, how instantly thousands can be put out of their homes, can lose their homes, can become homeless in every sense, except in the sense of HUD, maybe, and the federal government's definition of the homelessness, but thousands can be put out by floods and by fires. We know about paradise, but that's not the only one. All the fires going on now. Anyway, I, I'm going to talk now more, if she will let me, about Pat's books that she's written that kind of help us do something about it, because that's where we are, I think, Pat. What do we do about it, and how do your books help us kind of get a handle on that? Well, I think the scope of the problem is what my books try to try to detail. Because, it, like anything, if you don't understand the problem, you really can't have a solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I, what happened was, my mom was a, a family from a family of Irish immigrants, mm-hmm. and I grew up not enjoying any of her delicious cooking without hearing about someone who was hungry. Mm. You know, and the whole time you're like, "Mom, can I just enjoy the potatoes? <laughs> can <laughs> uh, yes. we just not talk about this yes. right now?" And um, so, when I had my own kids, and I was a single mom. I wanted to help, but I really didn't have any money. Mm-hmm. And so there was a local homeless shelter, and one night a month, I would cook food for everybody that was there, uh-huh. and my mom would buy the food. So I would make the meal, but my mom would buy it. So I did that for years and years and years, and of course, volunteering one night a month makes you an authority. Mm-hmm. Of course, I knew everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so when I didn't really mean to run for vice president. It was kind of sort of just happened. And when I was asked to run for vice president, at first I, I declined, but then when I realized nobody was talking about what was important to me, which was mommies and veterans and the elderly and so many people living in poverty, which now seems almost mythological because it was 16 years ago and so much has gotten worse. Yes. But when I, when I finally agreed that I would run, if I could talk about those issues that mattered to me, that's when we decided that I would live in homeless shelters around the country while I ran for vice president. And that's where the books started. Mm. So I had been a journalist for a long time and, and telling the story of poverty was as a broadcaster was, you know, you throw it in 90 seconds and you get a little blurb out and then you play a song that makes someone happy and you drop the story. But once I lived there, I kept a journal when I was living in these shelters and on the street and on the sidewalk in front of Dick Cheney's house the big sign that said, hey, Dick Cheney, come sleep with me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he did not take me up on it. No. But uh, I realized that these stories needed to be told. So that was when the first Left Out in America came about, was it, it's it's a book of stories. You know, you pick up, the read the New York City story, or read the Providence Rhode Island story, or read, read the Los Angeles stories. Mm-hmm. You, it doesn't matter what part of the book you pick up because it's just a series of stories about the people I met. Mm-hmm. A minister in the little town I live in now read that book and called me up and offered me a job. Wow. I was writing for the Bangor Daily News and bartending to stay alive mm. post-vice presidential race. And, and he said, you know, we want you to come down and work in a shelter. And so that's when I started working inside the system. Mm-hmm. And after about a decade of running shelters, I became intimately aware of the nightmare that is our response 
whether yeah. it's a tiny response on the level of one family getting subsidized housing after five years on a waiting list, or the giant response of FEMA showing up at a ravaged, you know, climate ravaged disaster and taking all the hotel rooms. <laughs> you know, they come to an area where nobody has a home and then they, and they, take they set up the, the contractors and all the workers in the housing. So it, it is just so many. And then, so the books are big because there's a lot to read about yes. in, the, in the reality of this. You know, I was going to ask you about FEMA. I'm so glad you brought it up. I thought FEMA traveled with their own vehicles and trailers for their workers. Well, no, it, that's not true? FEMA descends on an area and I think in theory it's a good idea. They also as time goes by hire a lot of local social workers. Uh. So, for example, at uh, Chico State in California, uh, a lot of the kids that were students in those social work programs were hired by FEMA to do the outreach. The problem is that the federal government is very busy just assuming that everyone's going to rip the federal government off mm. to such a, a really a horrifying and alarming degree when you think about the fact that, you know, how much ExxonMobil and um, yes. other places rip us off. Yes. You know, I've, I've interviewed and taken people to their congressman's office because they got $3,000 from FEMA and FEMA decided they weren't homeless enough and tried to take the money back. Oh my God. There was one gentleman who had a small, there wasn't really zoning in paradise. There is now, which is a real problem. It's kind of the houses that are coming back. It's very gentrified, which is a real problem because paradise was one of the few places where you could actually live and have moderate income in California. That's yeah. not a, a very common thing to be able to afford your house in California. Yes. Housing is so expensive. So he had a small property that he built on the back of his sister's property. Mm-hmm. And they had the same address as a mother-in-law apartment would have the same address, say. Yes. Yes. And so because FEMA had paid his sister, they decided that he was he was a grifter and ripping off the system and threatening to put him in jail. That, so your house burnt down. You barely escaped with your life. You know, 85 people died in that fire, most of them in their sleep hmm. uh, because it, it broke out in the morning and it moved so quickly. So here you've lived through all of this. You have nowhere to live. Now you're in a donated RV parked on somebody else's land and now they're threatening to incarcerate you because they've decided that your home wasn't a home enough and it is expensive it's expensive to have a a community lose its entire home and then to have a federal response so you'd think that would make people say well maybe we need to go up river and get ahead of the problem and stop the climate change but we don't have any of these plans in place your friend you walk with to work i'm sure she would have many ideas for how we could cut this off at the pass. Yes. It's much cheaper not to have an entire town burned down. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, and every and you're in paradise. The guy that rented me my car, right? The car rental guy. Yes. He found his grandmother's bones in the basement of the house that she lived in. Oh god. I mean, every single person is tra- there's this massive community trauma. Yes. That I I used to say it's really hard to work in a homeless shelter because every single person you meet is having the worst day of their life. Yes. And that was like a whole community experiencing that. And still, as you've already pointed out, in factory farms, gas companies, oil companies, it just gets so much off the public dole, as they say. But we mm-hmm. cannot seem to understand 
the people who really need the money, there's inflexibility. The people who need the housing. What about food insecurity? I don't think I've said that, those two words today, but that's that's got to be in here too, yes? Yes, it is to some degree. Food insecurity is a big problem. Uh, if you're homeless, for the most part, you don't qualify for food stamps because you don't have a housing expense. Oh, God. I know it's really. I mean, saying these sentences makes me feel like a moron, but it's just the truth. I didn't invent it. I just know it. And so, I mean, I had one elderly man, and you know, he'd get his seven hundred and twenty dollar or seven hundred and sixty dollar social security check. And if you worked a minimum wage, your job, your whole life, you're a poor person. Mm. Then you're going to get a poor person's social security benefit. Yes. So he he got about seven sixty, and he got sixteen dollars in food stamps because he didn't have a a housing expense. Of course, if you live in a shelter, you're eating, even if it's just Subway or, or McDonald's, mm. you're eating out all the time. Mm. And then in addition to that, every chance this man could, because he was sleeping on the floor of a different church at night, Yes. every chance he got, if he had enough money, he would rent a hotel room. So even at $45 a night for a lousy hotel room, you know, your $700 doesn't go very far. Yeah. So, of course, he had a housing expense, even if they would just figure that hotel room, but that's a luxury. Mm -hmm. And it's not calculated in when you're allocating. So food insecurity is a very big problem, and I'm, I'm actually working on a book called Humble Pie mm. where I t I've gotten recipes from people who live on zero food because mm. that's what I keep trying to do I keep trying to find another way to skin the cat you know a different way to tell the story so yes. that I don't buzz kill people so they don't want to learn it anymore no. that's what the Priscilla series is Is it's a, a soft and gentle story about an old woman who befriends these kids at the park and she has tea parties with them and, and they come to find out that she lives there so it's a gentler way yes. to learn about homelessness and that's what I'm hoping the food insecurity book will do too Tell, tell us about elder orphans. We don't hear about that enough, but they that's quite a large number of people too, yes? Oh, yes. The, uh, people who get old and have no one to care for them. It's a staggering statistic. It's in the book. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but it's a staggering statistic mm. in the double digits, 25 or 30% of people who die of Alzheimer's at home. Yeah. So they have absolutely no external care. And there are tiny little programs that get on the chopping block constantly, like Meals Meals on Wheels yes. and little outreaches that go to shut-in elders to mm. bring them food. Yes. Uh, and there's also a, um, a program that you can't get if you're homeless. I've tried to get Meals on Wheels for elderly that lived in the shelters I was running, and you know they won't deliver to a shelter. So, so they, you can't do that. But they do deliver to people in homes. And, uh, you know, this is just one way for a, an elder person to see another human being yes. once a day. Yes. There are many problems of transportation. An enormous percentage of the elderly without cars miss doctor appointments. Oh, yes, yes. Because there's no one to take them. There's no one to help them. I recently had a procedure and I had to have uh, anesthesia and they would not let me leave if someone didn't come to get me. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if I had been an elder orphan, I couldn't have had a procedure I needed. Oh my God. Because I wouldn't have anyone to come get me. What about prison to homelessness to prison? 
Yeah, depending on the state, prisoner, there are two problems depending on the state. Prisoners have to pay for their incarceration, which I thought ended with a Christmas carol. I thought so too, but (laughs) I've heard about it recently and I was still shocked, but go ahead. Um, and in Arizona and other places, but I, uh, I personally was in the um, the children's prisons in Arizona, the juvenile detention centers, the kids have to pay for their incarceration. So if they turn 18 and they haven't paid the bill for being in jail, then they get an adult record, which oh. is pretty horrifying. Oh, my God. Um, I met one kid who he had um, a backpack full of drugs and his uncle had given him the backpack and told him to go three blocks with it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, instead of incarcerating the uncle, they just got the low hanging fruit and grabbed the kid. And if a person is in prison in my state, which is the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, uh-huh. if a person's homeless here, they cannot be released from prison unless they have a home plan. And that happens in many states. And that means you've done your time. You did your three years, say for whatever, and you will stay in prison longer if you don't have a home to go to. That I did not know. Right. So that's expensive. Yes. If, if It's stupid to the taxpayer. If they can't be, you know, ethically and morally outraged, they need to be fiscally outraged. Yes. Because this person's done their time and it's a, it's much more expensive to pay for jail than it is to pay for an apartment. And then they, they get out and, and, they, and they also have the bill from their incarceration and it's harder to find a job. So they become homeless then they can't pay their bill, and then they go back to jail. Hmm. All I can say is um, I certainly am glad you were on the show because even though there was a lot of this I knew, there is some I did not know, and this whole, that's why I asked about that, prison to homelessness to prison. I went, what does that mean? And is this part of the, because of the private, the growth of private prisons in America, or is this just any old prison, including the federal government prisons? Yeah, um, it's it's a punitive thing. I think it's more state facilities, and it's, I know that it's on a state-by-state basis. There are states that do not charge for incarceration, but it's it's punishing. You know, yes. the other one that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of, it. you know, the problem is our laws are written by, forgive me, yes. middle-to-upper-class white guys. Yes, <laughs> I knew you were going and to say because- that, and it's true. It's true. Because I always say that, old old white men. Well, I have to be one. An old old white men who have n- rich. no yes, yeah. rich old white men who really yeah. have no way of relating to what you and I are talking about and what you are writing about. There's no right. concept of it. Right, and they they don't know what they're writing. So the one that really bugs me, and this is going to sound funny, come from me coming from a single mom. My my husband and I divorced when my children were two and one. But the one that really bothers me is the deadbeat dad and deadbeat mom law, uh-huh. the deadbeat spouse law. Yes. And that's because it's written with this middle class conception that some lawyer isn't paying his child support. And, well, the law doesn't really apply to him. A woman who wants more money from a lawyer has to get her own lawyer and sue him. Yes. What happens is the, the low income and housing insecure people whose children might get WIC, um, which is uh, Women's Infants and Children Feeding Program. Yes. They might get food stamps. They might get that uh, $100 or $200 a month I mentioned for welfare under five. Mm-hmm. Once a child starts to receive benefits from the state, it's not the mom that goes after the deadbeat dad or the, or the dad that goes after the deadbeat mom. 
it's the state that goes after them. Mm. So, so you've got a, a guy making, say, or a girl making 12 bucks an hour at a great job, mm-hmm. possibly making minimum wage, which in my state is seven and a quarter. Mm. So you've got someone making a very low wage and they can't make the child support payment that has been assigned by the state uh, because they're a deadbeat. Yeah. And in Pennsylvania and other states, that parent will be incarcerated. So now they can't make the payment or support themselves. Right. Yeah. So all it is, is is paying the state back for $300 a month in food stamps. You know, for God's sake, every that's the other thing that really, I mean, I learned a lot. I was always amazed when I started doing this work. I was amazed that every single day I was more stupid than the day before because I had something new I had to learn. Mm. But what happens when a child ages out of foster care? Yes. Who's paid to care then? Nobody. Mm-hmm. So nope. a 19-year-old who has nowhere to go, like my 19-year-old did when she came home from college for the summer, that other 19-year-old doesn't have anywhere to go. Yes. And that 19-year-old ends up on the street. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that, the only thing they really have of value is their body. And it really is true that there are many programs like that for autism kids that are supported when they're minors, mm-hmm. but the moment they're over 19, that money goes away as though, as though suddenly they're cured. And it's right. the same for homelessness. I know we, we've run out of time, and we're going to have to have you back. I just, I, I just hope. Well, we have to do this. We have to find out how do we get a hold of your books. At least give us some of the titles. I know, I know, we've mentioned uh, Daddy, What's the Middle Class? I love that title. And but tell us about your books and how we can get them. It's important that we find out more. Well, they're all at patlamarche.com. Unfortunately, my name is a little tough to spell, but P-A-T-L-A-M-A-R-C-H-E.com. They're all at Amazon, although I'd prefer local booksellers. um, And (laughs) Jeff Bezos has got enough billions right now. But they are all available, and they're Kindles and all that stuff. And, uh, I mean, it's more important that you learn about the topic than really where you get it from. Exactly. Um, and then the Priscilla books are all published by a nonprofit organization. And the, the revenue from all of my books benefits others because only a real jackass would make money on the homeless. Mm-hmm. So every every penny that the books cost will go, except for whatever my publisher gets, goes to help others. And then, uh, so this uh, still left out in America is the new book. Left yes. out in America is the 15-year-old one. And then uh, the Priscilla series you can get through the Charles Bruce Foundation, and that is also available at the Palomars.com okay. website. Let's spell that slowly, that, that last website you gave, so we can find it. It's P-A-T-L-A-M-A-R-C-H-E.com. Excellent. All right, any social media you want to share with us? Sure. Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm Pat H. LaMarche at Twitter. Um, or at Pat H. LaMarche, I guess is how they do it. Um, and then I'm on Instagram, Pat.LaMarche. Excellent. Well, Pat, I have to say, it's haunting, and it should be. We will definitely have you back, and, and perhaps in a, sooner than I would repeat a guest, because I'd like to get both shows on in November. But in any case, let's talk more, and thank you so very much, Pat H. LaMarche author, former vice president candidate, 
and someone who, if I um, understand correctly, it's not that you needed to live in a homeless shelter, but that you traveled the nation living in homeless shelters and on the street, especially in front of Dick Cheney's house. I love that. I was am a former neighbor of Dick Cheney, and uh, <laughs> I just anyway, I just just the thought of it. Makes there was me... a lot of security there. I'll tell you. I don't know. What I know they I absolutely. Do. I know. In any case. Thank you for being on the show. I, and I'm just left thinking, as I'm sure you have, and that it's you you thought you knew everything and then you realize there's so much you don't know. And I'm so glad you're yeah. in the world. How's that? Oh, thank you so much. It's really been fun. I, I, I appreciate you caring about this. I, I do. And I and, you know, and I thought I did before I met you. And then after I read about you, I thought I knew more and I, then I was okay. But now that I've talked to you or listened to you, which is more important, I realize there's more to learn and there's a lot more to do. So let's plan on maybe in a, a couple of Mondays, we'll figure out a date and you come back on. Okay. Wonderful. That All would right. be awesome. Thank you so much. All the best to you. Okay. Thank bye, you. Bye now. And now from watchfiremusic.com, vocal artist, Jenny Burton, singing Who Will Heal the World. Marcello Rolando, The Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Why so many hate crimes lately? The question itself betrays a culture of convenience now, instant gratification tomorrow, and denial forever. Unless the very core of our collective human psyche is upended by the truth that sets us free from the big lies humankind procreated even before 1607, we'll continue to complicate needed solutions. 1. Housing is what ends homelessness. 2. Taxing billionaires actually helps working poor. 3. Common ground computerless rural areas, and disconnected urbanites.
However, until we reach such social platforms of faith of our mothers as well, hope by and by in each other, and love for all the people all of the time, this truth hurts. Hate is but the tip of our human history iceberg imprisoned in the foundation of Cain and Abel, sweltering on the hellish quartet of self-destructive pillars. Envy, anger, fear, and a newly re-unmasked variant of civil war. Truly, there are only three comparatively new feeders of hate crimes. 1. American media has discovered it bleeds, so it leads. 2. We the people are too easily contented by stop-gap government measures, instead of single-mindedly in union with each other and the leaders we elect at every level, upholding the intended exceptional belief we hold these truths to be self-evident. All are created equal. 3. Too often now, our military and police are increasingly magnets for extremists, because some of us cannot be trusted with guns and the power to use them with prejudice. 120 years after Honest Abe, the right exchanged our 16th icon for republicanism born of Kay and Wall Street's lust for Frank Lust's contract with America, deserting Reagan's welfare queens for the Trumped. Hate, like Jim Crow after it, and slavery before literacy tests, has always been America's foggy bottom, evolving ever watchful of who it embraces and who it excludes through mangled patriotism's twisted interpretations, particularly of our Constitution's first fifteen amendments. Although none of our presidents, nor our political parties, have been perfect, few colluded with Wall Street CEOs in the White House like Dick Cheney in an attempt to amuse the too-big-to-jails greed for power, sacrificing our global economy on the altar of the Great Recession, intentionally drowning America in a Norquist bathtub of foreign oil wars, and, domestically, Americans invested in the stock market, real estate, or home mortgages found themselves victims of foreclosure, without life savings or employment, thus laid bare as the welcome mat for an inciter of January 6, 2021 violence. The point is, our responses to the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the January 6 attackers on the Capitol building and the members of Congress define us and by extension, both the military and civilian leaders we give power over us. If we can't differentiate between the truth and the big lies we continue to tell ourselves about the big lies those we elect tell us, then our democratic republic hangs by our pinky fingernails. If we truly believe businesses can't find post-COVID employees because of government stimulus and not because of the low wages they offer, then we've been watching too much corporate-owned TV news, in addition to Fox. If we can't accept the real possibility that our ex-president is not only guilty of felonious behavior, but has dangerously damaged our nation and society through his violent supporters, dark, dirty money enablers, and rented Republican senators and governors, then we have become the real-time sitcom for which Putin, China, and North Korea have been waiting.
recognizing our denial has less of a chance to stop climate change than Republicans have of stopping January 6th Commission investigation, is a good first step towards surviving the mesmerized Trump dominions. Admitting that over a half a million people died here from COVID may open our eyes to the lesson that Still among the living are people who happily value their opiate income more than the lives of those addicted to them. Facing the reality of America's new civil war, we might see January 6th as our Fort Sumter, for there are millions of Americans amassing weapons that can inflict mass human destruction all over America, just waiting for the rhetoric follow-through of Stand Back and Stand By. The wise will not see humor in 40% of Americans armed and ready to strike we the 60% because post-COVID has spawned a new level of fear in the likes of Charles Koch regurgitating money and the written word into the coffers of Koch red-mapped red state legislatures, furiously racing against racial history to radicalize the ruination of parity. The 62 House members who voted against the bipartisan hate crimes bill are as much a lesson for us as climate change, COVID-19, the colonial pipelines panic-buying gasoline lines, and the recent deep freeze of Americans living in Texas. But teaching civics, civic duty, and equal means equal to our children as early as middle school could be our democracy's best hope. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.